What's up, fight fans? It's that time again. TNC is back. Episode number 134 of the Neutral Corner for the week of August 18th. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. Back from a much-needed vacation. I was actually up in Boston hanging out with family. My dad turned 60 years old, so it was fun to take him out. Uh, For those of you who are familiar with Boston... It was actually my first time up there and my dad's first time. And uh, for his birthday, I took him up to the North End, which is the Italian section, got him some really good Italian food. Went up there with Tiffany, of course, my fiance, my sister Jennifer and her fiance, who just announced they are going to have a child. So I'm going to be an uncle. That's crazy. (laughs) And uh, my brother Anthony was there too. So it was a lot of fun. And uh, a lot of food, a lot of drink, a lot of laughs, a lot of talking, so my voice is still kind of hoarse. But back in Atlanta, getting back at it here, I'm going to get into this episode here, which is going to have two weeks worth of reviews and previews of what's coming up this week. But wanted to give you guys some quick reminders. My fee for the neutral corner, it is non-monetary, but what I need you guys to do is for every episode that you are entertained You chuckle a little bit at something stupid I say. You learn something new that you didn't know before. Whatever it is, every week, every episode that you get something out of this podcast, please, please, please spread the word. Post it on your social media. Tweet it out. If you got a YouTube channel, blast it right there. Facebook page, whatever it is, on some of the boxing sites that you go to to get news and you go in the chat rooms, the forums, blow this thing up, man. And not just the podcast, but my channel on YouTube, my Twitter page, all of it. Guys, if you could spread the word about my Patreon, even if you can't contribute monetarily and tip the show or anything like that, if you could spread the word about what we're doing here and spread the Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash Montero on boxing. Or if you want to pick up a shirt, I've talked about this before, my t-shirts. I don't feel bad selling them. You know why? I make a few cents on them. It's not about making money off the shirts. It's about spreading the word, getting the brand out there, the MOB brand. You guys know I'm an independent operator. I'm sitting here in my apartment recording this into a MacBook Pro. (laughs) And I don't know what the hell any of this technology is. Tiffany does it for me. But we're raising money to get this thing, take it to the next level where we could take calls from you guys, calls from fighters, from promoters. We can have guests on here. In fact, I just had a meeting with some people last week to get some things in motion for that. So I'm talking to a few production people here in Atlanta One of them is a radio person, and another one of them is a TV director slash producer that I've been put in touch with that know a lot about this podcasting stuff. Of course, I've been reaching out to some people in LA I know, but people here locally in Atlanta where there is a big entertainment industry presence, not quite LA, but it's still up there, and uh, getting some things in motion to really, really take this thing to the next level, that takes cash. Anything you guys could do to help, that's awesome, but for some of you guys, for a lot of you guys... The best thing you could do if you can't help out monetarily is just spread the word, man. Get the word out there. And for, look, while I was on vacation, a few of you guys bought MOB shirts. Thank you so, so much. That was awesome. That was really, really awesome to uh, to have that happen while I'm vacation. Anyway, 
A lot of news and notes to cover, so we're going to get right into that, guys. Just wanted to remind you of what my fee is for this podcast, all right? Appreciate you guys. Let's get into the news and notes. So while I was gone on vacation, I put up a poll about Deontay Wilder and who you guys would like to see him fight next. I had Dominic Brazil on there, Luis Ortiz rematch, Tyson Fury, and then option four was just freaking fight somebody. Now me being the idiot I was, probably a little buzzed at the time I posted that, that uh, poll, I forgot to include Dillian White. So uh, Dillian White should have been a choice on there. And of course, everyone's talking about Anthony Joshua, but as I've been telling you guys all year, that shit ain't happening till next year. Anyway, about 600 of you responded and 60% of you said Tyson Fury, which I gotta be honest, that surprised me. Only 13% of you wanna see a rematch with Luis Ortiz. Only 7% of you wanna see a fight with Dominic Brazil, who was technically as mandatory and they have bad blood. There was that brawl and that lobby in the hotel in Birmingham, Alabama. And now they've both said nasty shit about each other's families. And Brazil even got real low by talking about Wilder's disabled kid, which I mean, both of these guys have crossed the line. Look, Wilder crossed the line first, Brazil, you know, shouldn't have returned the favor, but he did. Anyway, I figured more than 7% of you would be interested in that fight now with all the back and forth. 60% of you want the Fury fight. Look, I have a pretty good relationship with Lou DiBella. Um, I've, uh, you know, I tweeted that poll out to him, Frank Warren, and the whole crew, like, guys, make this shit happen. They were talking a lot about that fight for a couple weeks, and then they shut up about it. This week, Tyson Fury has a fight against the journeyman who he should beat. I think that them going silent and Fury having a fight coming up tells me that behind the scenes, there's some talks. And I wouldn't be surprised if we get an announcement this Saturday. I also wouldn't be surprised if we don't because this is Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. And they're not exactly the busiest fighters in the world and they don't exactly always fight the best. So either way, that's what you guys said about that poll. Not exactly news and notes, but you know, wanted to get, let you guys know what uh, the finger of the pulse is for that sort of fight. And look, I think that Wilder Fury makes a ton of sense in New York this fall. And for the record, I would be there for that one. I wouldn't miss it. All right, some actual news. Top rank in ESPN signed an extension through 2025. Guys, that's seven years from now. That's huge, that's huge. 54 events a year. This also includes Top Rank's Fight Library, which uh, the Fight Library is on the ESPN Plus app, which you can access if you have that app, but also on ESPN Classic, they show classic fights all the time from that library, so that's a big deal. And then there's all these studio shows that they do. Uh, the Boxing Beat with Dan Raphael, look, do I think that's going to be a great show? And some of these other shows they have planned, no. Do I think I could destroy any show that they have right now? Yes. But in this business, it's about who you know, and it's about network loyalties. What did I just get through talking about with my fee for TNC and me being an independent operator? There you go. If I kiss some people's ass and work my way up the corporate chain over at ESPN or wherever else, maybe I can work, wiggle my ass into one of these jobs and I could have a little studio show you know, on ESPN Plus as part of this top rank deal. But then I would be a company man for ESPN and for top rank. Do you guys want to see that shit? Because I don't want to be that shit. Anyway, 
Big, big deal with this extension, man. 18 cards on regular ESPN a year, 12 primetime cards on ESPN, which basically means domestic cards on uh, ESPN Plus, I'm sorry. So 18 on regular ESPN, 12 on ESPN Plus, then also 24 international events on ESPN Plus, which is pretty much going to be afternoon shows. Afternoon shows that they pick up, as they've done several times now already since they started a deal a few months back. Guys, that's an awesome deal for five bucks. And then you're already, if you have regular basic cable, you're paying for ESPN already. So when you think about all things considered, this whole ESPN top rank deal is, and again, I don't work for top rank. I don't get any money from them. Same thing with ESPN. But I just got to say, guys, dollar for dollar, this is the best entertainment boxing deal you're getting in the United States right now. Nobody even comes close. Uh, Others have great programming as well, but they're charging you more. So this is a big, big deal. And already top rank on ESPN, their deal with them, this whole endeavor, is more successful than the PBC. They've spent a hell of a lot less money. They just, and I'm not, I'm not including in the PBC, I'm not including Showtime fights or fights that they put on CBS with Showtime money, which they did several times. I'm comparing apples to apples here. PBC, the time buys they did on the various networks, non-premium cable, where they had to pay for it, versus this top rank on ESPN deal where they're getting paid, it smokes what PBC did. It just destroys it. It's already more successful in that deal. And I know PBC is negotiating and there's rumors of a deal exclusively with Fox. If that comes through, and that, that would not be a time buy. We're waiting to see what happens with that. Um, some of the channels, the clickbait channels you guys go to a lot, you know, are talking about this like it's a done deal. It's not. But I do think something will get done there. That will be great for PBC. Uh, I don't know how, quite how that will line up with Showtime because Showtime owns CBS. But uh, we'll talk about that another day. Top rank ESPN. That's good stuff, man. Real good stuff. All right. Purse bid. WBO. Purse bid for Maurice Hooker. And Alex Saucedo is set for August 14th at the WBO headquarters in Puerto Rico. Minimum bid is 150 grand, which I think is going to be way outdone. I talk about this because, number one, I think it's an interesting fight. But number two, this is going to be an interesting purse bid. Because Maurice Hooker recently signed with Matchroom. I think he's partially repped by Matchroom. I think he has a team of people. I don't know if they have 100% rights to him. I can't remember off the top of my head, but sign with Matchroom, that is zone, right? And then you have Saucedo, who is with Top Rank and their deal with ESPN. He just had an exciting fight in his hometown on ESPN in a co-main. So those two guys are going to go for this purse bid, both sides. It's going to be Top Rank versus Matchroom, basically. And depending on who wins that purse bid, this fight could be taken a few different places. If Matchroom wins... I would imagine they'd put it in Dallas, where Hooker is from. That would make sense. But you never know. They might, they might you know, take this fight as a co-main to another card and move it somewhere else. If top rank wins it, they're going right back to Oklahoma City. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see who wins that purse bid. And I like that matchup. I mean, Hooker's had some recent uh, issues with the law. I, I, apparently, that's not going to affect any of this. And it's going to go forward as scheduled. 
But I think that's an interesting matchup, man. And really, these purse bids are important, guys. Whatever side wins this gives their fighter a significant advantage. So uh, pay attention to this thing. We'll talk more about it as it comes up. All right, some ratings news. Kovalev Alvarez, that HBO boxing broadcast, it did a peak of 813,000 viewers, an average of 731,000 viewers. Also that same weekend, we had Andre Berto and Devin Alexander, PBC on Fox. That peaked at 1.26 million, an average of 1.19 million. So it's been uh, it's a dead horse that's been beaten into the ground a billion times, so I won't talk about this too much, but you guys obviously know Fox is in tens of millions more homes than HBO is. So for the Kovalev Alvarez rating to do essentially, let's just round up 800,000, okay, round it to there. Berto Alexander, 1.2 million. You do the math there. Uh, Kovalev Alvarez did two-thirds what Berto Alexander did, but when you factor in the number of homes HBO's in versus Fox, that's a significantly better rating. I shouldn't say significantly better, but it's a much better rating. And not surprising at all, because Kovalev has been an HBO staple for years, and that was a competitive card with Dimitri Bivol on there. Uh, and they figured the winners of those two fights, and I'll talk about that fight later in this episode, will unify titles later this year. And most people thought it would be the two Russians, but it wasn't. Um, Berto Alexander made no freaking sense meaningless fight and the outcome was controversial talk more about that in a second anyway decent ratings uh for the Berto alexander card but not spectacular all things considered there's a lot of sports options right now going you know with uh i think uh football preseason football is kicking in and uh you got of course major league baseball and everything so a decent rating but i thought that kovalev alvarez rating is pretty damn good almost a million and kovalev was the only name there he basically carried that himself for him to do a rating like that after the Andre Ward fiasco, pretty respectable. All right, one more thing, and then we'll get into the review. Kubrat Pulev. Of course, uh, the IBF has been trying to get him to fight somebody to determine the IBF mandatory. They uh, offered it to Dillian White. They offered it to Jarrell Miller. Both of them, for different reasons, turned it down. And look, Dillian White, I, I ain't really mad at him. He ended up fighting... Uh, Joseph Parker, who's a better fighter than Kubrat Pulev, so I don't, I'm not really mad at him, but Jarrell Big Baby Miller turned down a fight at an IBF mandatory, you know, an eliminator fight. They said they just didn't want to go over to Bulgaria or whatever, but uh, who, look, who's he fighting coming up? I can't even think of the guy's name. I saw a blurb about it somewhere, but he's fighting somebody that he doesn't need to be fighting. So to me, Miller just flat out, I'm not going to say ducked, but avoided this fight mainly because he wasn't confident enough in his power to go over to Bulgaria. He knew this would probably go to the cards. And if you can't stop Krubrat Pulev, you're not an elite level heavyweight. So he wasn't confident enough in his power to travel and fight Pulev in his home country. Wasn't, didn't think he could get a decision over there. So that tells you what Miller and his management thinks of him. And, of course, he just signed a deal with Matchroom and the whole DAZN thing. They got plans for that guy. They didn't want him to go over there and lose to Pulev. Instead, it's going to be Pulev fighting Huey Fury, October 27th. I think it's an interesting matchup. And if there's any substance to Huey Fury whatsoever, look, he fought 
Joseph Parker, he lost. He claimed it was a robbery, which was ridiculous. It wasn't. He clearly lost that fight. It was a god-awful fight. If he's learned anything from that, if there's any substance to this guy, anything to be interested in at all, he should beat Pulev. So that's why I'm interested in that fight. And of course, you guys know I like the big boys anyway. So that's it with news and notes. There's more things I could talk about, guys, but there's so much to cover. I just want to get right into the review. So let's do that. Let's talk about what's happened over the last couple weeks in the world of boxing. Okay, so taking it back to Friday, August 3rd in Australia, Tevin Farmer scores a unanimous decision win over Billy Dibb, wins the vacant IBF 130-pound title, brings that title to Philly, a Philly fighter with a title. I'm trying to think, are there any other Philadelphia fighters with titles right now? None of them crossed my mind. Guys, if I'm forgetting somebody, please remind me. But you think of Philly as this historic fight town. And it's just not guys from that area winning titles anymore. Again, this is, you know, I, I trigger the East Coast guys a lot. And by the way, I'm an East Coaster at heart, and I always will be, and I live back on the East Coast now, but the West Coast is running boxing in America. And, I, you know, this is just another example, because I can't think of another Philly guy with a title right now. Anyway, Farmer brings that title back to Philly. Good for him. This is the same title that Gervonta Davis lost on the scale last year. Remember, Farmer in his previous fight lost a split decision to Kenichi Ogawa. That ended up being changed to a no contest because Ogawa tested positive for performance-enhancing drugs. So the title went vacant again. So this title, honestly, was Gervonta Davis's. Lost it on the scale. Farmer fought for the vacant title. Lost, but he lost to a cheater. The title went vacant again. He gets another crack at it. He wins it. So this guy has earned it. Uh, look. Do I think he's better than Javante Davis? No, I don't. I think Javante Davis would beat him. However, I wouldn't mind seeing that fight. And good for him and good for the city of Philly. So let's move on to Saturday, August 4th. Cardiff, Wales. 2012 Olympian Natasha Jonas, female fighter, was upset by a Brazilian Swiss fighter, Vivian Obanov. And I hope I'm getting that name somewhat correct. TKO 4, there were three knockdowns. You do not see a lot of actual knockdowns and, and knockouts, stoppages in female boxing. That's why I thought this was noteworthy. But more than that, there were big plans for Natasha Jonas. She was, like I said, the 2012 Olympian, uh, UK fighter. You know, that's a huge fight scene over there. Female boxing is starting to really kick in. There's some young female talent that's starting to uh, garner interest. And Jonas was a fighter people were looking at. And she just was upset. Dropped once, I believe in the third round, maybe twice in the third round. Maybe it was once in the third, twice in the fourth. I don't remember for sure. But after that first knockdown, she wasn't the same. And I was just, I was surprised that that Swiss fighter had that kind of power to hurt her. Interesting stuff, man. Also that day here in the United States at the Hard Rock Hotel in Atlantic City, that light heavyweight doubleheader that I talked about just a second ago. Let's start with the co-main. Dimitri Bivol scores a unanimous decision over Isaac Chalemba. This was the second defense of his WBA light heavyweight title. And look, I was kind of watching this one on Twitter a little bit with you guys. I was watching it on TV and tweeting about it while I was hanging out with my family. Um, you know, I was critical of Bivol. A lot of people were, or Bivol. And critical in the sense that 
he's not he's a very very good fighter there's a ton of potential there but a lot of people were anointing this guy the best light heavyweight in the world now maybe he's got that potential he clearly does there's no maybe about it but he's an incomplete fighter and there's still things he has to work on so maybe i'm being i was being a little harsh and maybe some of some of you guys out there are being way too harsh but i think some of the criticisms warranted when a guy is that's just boxing today and it's not just boxing it's all forms of entertainment and sports people jump to things so fast we're so quick to anoint a guy either a has-been or the next big thing people need to pump the brakes a little bit on evil this was what his 14th pro fight he's going to be 28 years old in december he needs to work on his inside fighting his combination punching in varying up the rhythms there's a little bit of sergey kovalev in him at least right now where he gets a little too happy with one speed one rhythm and it's straight in and straight back straight in straight back he could be timed a little bit and chalemba wasn't necessarily timing him with his offense although he did tag bevel a couple times but he was able to time him defensively when bevel would come in and try to get one one twos off and it was, you know, that standard kind of one, two, one, two, three type of combination. Chalembo was able to shell up, cover up, slip just enough to avoid getting really, really damaged. And so a, a guy who has a strong offense probably could have countered Bivol a lot more in that fight. Either way, though, Bivol won every single round. This was a 120-108 kind of fight. One of the judges, I think, had it like 116-112, which is absolutely fucking ridiculous. But Bevo, pretty on my card, won every round. Complete shutout. Yet, he shut... Think about this, guys. He shut out Isaac Chalemba, who is a top 10 light heavyweight, who has given every fighter in the division hell that he's fought, including the elite level guys. He's given all of them hell. Bevo shut him out, and there is still so much... He could have done better in this fight. Now, you guys remember, I predicted him to stop Chalemba because Chalemba has been slowed down, is not quite as good as he was a couple years ago. I just think that he's, you know, he's on the tail end of his career. Still very, very serviceable, top 10 light heavyweight, but not quite the guy he was. He's been softened up with a few long, grueling fights, actually more than a few. So I really thought Bevo might get to him and stop him late. I was wrong on that. But in this fight, Chalemba exposed, I hate to use that word, but exposed some of Bevel's, I don't want to say flaws, I'm going to say limitations. There's some limitations there. I talked about the, 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 the same rhythm, the same rhythm over and over and being more comfortable on the outside than the inside. There aren't many guys who are great inside fighters in the heavier weight classes right now, but there are some. And if Bevel gets in there against the guy who can get rough and nasty on the inside, he's going to give, Bevel's going to have problems with a fighter like that. A fighter that can get rough and nasty on the inside and has a very, very good offense is going to give Bevel trouble. So right now, him and his team, again, work on the combinations and varying up the rhythms, the inside fighting, and just varying up the angles. He beat a journeyman to win this title, right? But he's defended it twice, Bevel has, against two legit top 10 light heavyweights. Sullivan Barrera, Isaac Chalemba. He's gone 24 rounds. Well, 23 and a half rounds. Because remember, he, he knocked down uh, Barrera in the 12th round of their fight and got him out of there. 
But almost 24 rounds with those two fighters are no doubt going to make Bivol a much better fighter. He's got a lot to learn from. If he works on some of this stuff I'm talking about here, this dude's going to be nasty. Now, people keep talking about his amateur career. Not all amateur careers are created equal, guys. You got to look at what a fighter did in their amateur career. I'll talk about this real briefly, okay? Dimitri Bivol, his amateur career is reported as being 268 wins with 15 losses, spanning from 2006 when he was a junior amateur to 2014. Now, on the surface, that looks awesome. That looks like one of the best amateur records in all of pro boxing right now, any, any pro boxers fighting right now. But you start looking at where he fought, who he fought, and what you learn about Bivol's amateur record is that it's mostly national in Russia and regional in that part of the world. Pretty much no real success on the global scale. Never fought in the Olympics. I don't believe, I don't know if he fought in the world championships, but I know he didn't medal in any of them. So it was more of a regional type of amateur career, which is the same thing I've talked about with Luis Ortiz. A lot of people talk about the Cuban heavyweight's amateur career being so outstanding. He had hundreds of amateur fights, and he was a standout on the Cuban amateur team. Very, very true, but not on the global scale. Not the same thing we saw with Vasily Lomachenko, with uh, Gennady Golovkin, Guillermo Rigondeaux, those types of fighters. So you guys got to just, instead of just looking at the numbers of the amateur record, you got to dig a little deeper and find out where they fought. Because how many times have we seen a guy post an amateur record of 200 plus wins, but he never left Kansas? We've, we've seen it plenty of times. All right. And that's a lot of these MMA guys that's, you know, they'll say, oh, I, I was a boxer and I had over 100 amateur fights. My record was 103, but they fought only in Oregon. Well, you're not an expert boxer, dude. You were not a world class, world level, global talent in amateur boxing. So anyway, I just wanted to bring that up just because with Bevel, I still don't know if he's fought all the styles that on the surface that amateur record would indicate. So he's going to learn things from fighting guys like Sullivan Barrera, like Isaac Chalemba. This dude's still improving, which is scary as hell for the rest of the light heavyweight division, but he's not a complete fighter yet. All right, let's talk about main event. Eladir Alvarez scores a TKO 7 win over Sergey Kovalev, drops him three times. And prior to that seventh round, I had Kovalev ahead four rounds to two. I think HBO had him ahead five rounds to one, and so did a lot of media people. I don't see how you could give Alvarez any more than two of the first six rounds. There were people out there saying this was an even fight after six rounds. I think they were grading on a curve. I think Kovalev... Maybe the first four rounds were split, but Kovalev had won the fifth and sixth round. He was starting to find a rhythm, and I thought he was starting to pull away in this fight. Then all of a sudden in the seventh round, Alvarez clocks him with the right hand. Kovalev had just landed a pretty good jab, and he kind of leaned over to his right, dropped his left hand, and just stood there. And he was huffing and puffing and breathing a little bit. Boom, Alvarez lands a big right hand, that Kovalev, to me, it looks like he saw it coming. He just did not, he just didn't prepare well for it. And maybe it was his stamina. This guy has had stamina issues throughout his career. People have talked about 
the lack of elite level training in fitness that he that he does in camp and i just think it's cost him and now the dude is getting up there in age he's been dropped a couple times he's been stopped and i think the punch resistance has gone a little bit now for people who are trying to suggest that kovalev quit you're morons he got up i don't that that right hand that alvarez landed most light heavyweights and even some top level cruiserweights do not get up from that shot Kovalev did. He got up from a second knockdown. I think he even got up from the third one. The ref stopped it and, and could have really stopped it after the second knockdown. But Kovalev didn't quit. He was trying to win this fight. He did not capitulate as he did in the second Andre Ward fight. He mentally and emotionally capitulated. He gave up in that fight. That's not what happened here. Alvarez just nailed him with a great shot. And that was it. And Kovalev just does not have elite world-class level stamina, at least not for a boxer. The level of cardiovascular conditioning and stamina that you need in this sport at the elite level, I'm sorry guys, I know some of you are going to give me shit. It destroys that required in the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball, the NHL, all of it, even, even football, soccer, football, all of it. There's no teammates here. There's no halftime. None of that shit. You get a minute to sit in your ass and then you get right back up and there's a trained killer trying to take your damn head off. It's rough. And Kovalev has never pushed himself in camp. All that being said, he said he's not going to retire. He may want to rematch Alvarez. There is a rematch clause. It could happen. You know HBO would want it. And you know Bevel and his team wouldn't mind it either. Because they were talking about unifying <clears throat> with Kovalev should he have won. They don't need to jump into a fight, uh, unification fight with Alvarez. Why not see Alvarez and Kovalev do a rematch? And if you're Bevel and his team, fight in the co-main. Fight another guy, get 12 more rounds of work in, and watch, get a good look at Alvarez again. I don't think Kovalev beats Alvarez in the rematch, but I don't blame him for wanting to take that rematch because he was winning the fight at the time of the stoppage. So let's talk about Alvarez. He's 24-0 now, 12 knockouts, 34 years old, Colombian native who now lives in Canada, 2008 Olympian, promoted by Yvonne Michel, advised by Al Heyman. And Al Heyman is technically his advisor, but hasn't done a goddamn thing for this guy ever. So I don't know why the hell he's still advised by Al Heyman, because you look at all those years, he was lined up to fight Adonis Stevenson, who is just more favored by Heyman and those guys and got every damn favor to delay the fight with Alvarez. And now you see why Stevenson and his team wanted no part of this dude. He is very dangerous. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? He is the number one light heavyweight in the world right now. Yeah, I'm saying it. It sure as hell ain't Stevenson. It's not Bivol. Kovalev was the number one guy coming into this fight. And Alvarez stopped him. Yes, he was behind at the time of the stoppage. But he stopped him. He beat him. He's now the number one guy. Ain't undisputed. Nothing like that. I'm not saying anything like that. But he's the number one guy right now. Now, if somehow, if somehow Adana Stevenson actually fights Oleksandr Gavajdik and beats him, which I don't think he will. I think Daniel is going to win that fight. But if he did, an Alvarez-Adana Stevenson unification bout 
would be massive in Canada. Would that be the biggest fight in modern Canadian boxing history? I think it just might. That would be a huge fight. It'd be a unification. It would be for the lineal number one spot at light heavyweight. Ring Magazine title would be up for grabs, all of it. And then, of course, they'd unify, I think, what, uh, Stevenson still has the BC somehow, and Alvarez now has the WBO. So that would be massive. Probably won't happen, though. I think Avajdik's going to beat Stevenson, and I don't know if we're going to see him fight either Alvarez, Kovalev, Bevel, any of those guys anytime soon because Top Rank's doing their thing with ESPN. Either way, any combination of these fights that I'm mentioning, I want to see it. I want to see it. Now, is Kovalev finished at the elite level? I believe he is. I think if he rematches Alvarez, he's just going to get knocked out again. But he has earned the right to where if he wants that rematch, he wants another payday, give it to him. This dude is 35 years old. He's an old 35, not just because of some of his recent tough fights, but because of how he lives in between fights. He's traveled the hard road to get here. He's truly been one of these fighters who's had to work his way up from the absolute bottom. And despite all his personality issues and things like that, I do respect that about Kovalev, and I always will. And he was the legitimate light heavyweight champion for a while. I don't give a damn about what you guys say about Adonis Stevenson. He wasn't. Now, after this fight, John David Jackson, who used to train Kovalev, had some colorful words about him. He did an interview, I think it was posted on Boxing Scene, in between all the cl clickbait bullshit on that site. And he basically just went off and said a bunch of shit about Kovalev. And, you know, it just made me think, John David Jackson, who I've always respected and thought was a pretty good guy, really came off just looking like an asshole. Because if you thought Kovalev was a quote-unquote borderline racist, why the hell would you take his money? What does that make you? There's certain terms I could think of that I think are reprehensible. I'm not going to repeat them or say them. But it makes me think, dude, I'll just say sellout. His money was good enough but now that the dude has lost and, and fired you and stopped paying you money, you're going to say all kinds of nasty shit about him. I just thought that was really, really classless. And it made me lose a ton of respect for John David Jackson, who really doesn't have a very good record as a trainer in recent years. Hasn't done that much good work. All right. Moving on from that. Earlier that day at the Nassau Coliseum in Uniondale, New York, Long Island, PBC on Fox. Andre Berto wins a split decision win over Devin Alexander. Berto was actually dropped in the third. Many people felt Alexander won. This is the second time in a row that Alexander did not get a decision in a fight that a lot of people thought he won. Why the hell would Andre Berto get a decision over Alexander in political terms? I don't know. He was the A side of this fight. But here's, here's what I look at. Berto is now officially 5-5 five in, five in his last 10 fights going back to 2011. Alexander is 2-4-1. Officially, maybe some of you guys feel it should be 4-2-1. But either way, 2-4-1 officially going back to 2013 in his last 7 fights. This was the main event of a card on a major American network that you were paying to put on 
that network. Awkward silence, because I have no words. I, this perhaps was part of the negotiation of the PBC on Fox deal that's being worked out right now. And this was just one last card. I don't know. I will say this much. As far as diehard fight fans go, there were a lot of names you would recognize on this card. A lot of names. So in that respect, it was a loaded card. Very, very much so. But none of these names mean dick in boxing right now as far as being influential, being top elite level guys that matter anymore. These are mostly names that are on the way down. I don't want to say has-beens. That would not be cool. But just guys who are well past their best and are not really a factor anymore. But if you're a boxing diehard and you had nothing going on, there would be some names on this card you recognize. Peter Quillen, one of them. He dominated Jay Leon Love to a unanimous decision win. Uh, Luis Colazzo and Sergey Lipinets struggled to win majority decisions. Richard Comey and Gary Antoine Russell won stoppages. So yeah, a lot of names on there, you know, but I just I don't see any name that's a factor. And you're putting this shit on Fox. Wow. Anyway, that's it, guys, uh, for sort of Saturday for that weekend. Moving past to uh, to last week, actually Wednesday, August eighth. Hollywood Fight Nights, another card from Tom Loeffler's 360 Promotions Group at the Avalon Theater in Hollywood. Kazakh light heavyweight, Ali Akhmedov. Yeah, I think Akhmedov. He had the performance of the night. He scores a uh, KO4 win. He's now 12-0 with nine knockouts. They called this a cruiserweight fight because I think he came in like a pound or so overweight. But he's not a cruiserweight. He's a light heavyweight. Friday, August 10th, it was, there was a few cards, just small cards. There was a LA Fight Club card at the Belasco on Australia TV. There was an all-star boxing card in Tampa, Florida on Telemundo. And a Roy Jones Jr. boxing promotions card from the Red Rock Casino in Vegas on BN. And then Saturday, August 11th, in Arizona, New York heavyweight prospect Trevor Bryan scored a TKO4 win over BJ Flores. Knocked him down, not once, not twice, not three times, six, six times. And is now 20-0 with 14 knockouts. So beating up BJ Flores doesn't make you necessarily a prospect to really, really get excited about. However, it's, it's a good accomplishment. It's a good win for, for Brian. And it's a name on his resume. And you know what? He's a guy that we should look at. You know, we should just check him out and see where he goes from here. I'm not putting him in, you know, in Daniel Dubois territory or anything like that. But let's keep an eye on him. Flores was stopped in front of his hometown fans. I think he lives in, I think this was in Phoenix. And he lives in the Phoenix area. So uh, TKO3 lost to Tony Bellew back in 2016. I think that was the last like live body he fought before this fight. Time to hang him up, bro. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? You just got embarrassed in front of your hometown. Just stop. Just stop, okay? Also, Saturday, August 11th, Golden Boy on Facebook Watch. And I know most of you guys 
that are listening to the show, you were definitely watching that because we talked about it on Twitter. Boom, the stream went out. I think in like the fourth or fifth round, didn't come back until the ninth round. And the thing about Facebook Watch is it tells you how many people are watching. And I want to say 50, 60,000 people were watching in the beginning of the main event, which was uh, Joseph Diaz uh, versus Rojas. Um, I think Rojas was defending his title and Diaz, I'll talk about the fight in a second, but I just want to talk about the stream, okay? Uh, yeah, I think fourth, fifth round, it goes out. There's like 50, 60,000 people watching. Comes back in the ninth round, and there's like 8,000 people watching. And throughout the rest of the main event, I don't think there was any more than maybe 10 or 12,000 people watching. So once you lose people like that on a live stream, they're gone. They're not coming back. Only the most sickest of diehards will keep trying for three, four rounds to find the stream again and come back. And that was that 8,000 or so of you who came back. One thing I found that was interesting about this stream, it was glitchy all night, but dropping in the main event, that was just horrible. Just a hor You couldn't have asked for a shittier start to this series. But I, I was sent a couple of links from a couple of you guys watching live from sites like Fight Hype, who were on their Facebook page were showing and streaming the card as well. I thought that was interesting that, you know, fringe media outlets like that, and I, I really shouldn't even call them fringe, not really a well, a well respected media platform by most people in the business, actual industry people, but it is a popular site among the PBC fans and a lot of the Floyd fan base. And that's why a lot of us in the biz call it Floyd hype. That's what we used to call it anyway. Floyd's retired now. But um, I found it interesting that they were streaming it as well. And there were just as many people. I remember turning on their stream briefly and seeing 50, 60,000 people watching there. So basically, they took the stream from Golden Boy and blasted it on Fight Hype. And I'm like, all these people, look, generally Fight Hype doesn't like Oscar De La Hoya, Oscar De La Hoya's fighters, not really huge Golden Boy fans. And a lot of people that go to Fight Hype for their quote-unquote news don't really like that side of the aisle, right? Yet they're still watching the shit. And there's just as many of them watching than Golden Boy had on their page. So am I missing something here with how Facebook Watch works? Or is this just the way internet streams work and people pick it up and put it on their own Facebook page. Let me know, guys. Either way, so the team for these cards is going to be Todd Grisham, who you guys have seen on Friday Night Fights and other uh, fight platforms before. Mario Lopez, who's a celebrity who loves boxing, does a, a very successful podcast with Steve Kim called The Three Knockdown Rule. That's a lot of fun. And social media reporter, Rosie Diaz. I have no idea who the hell she is or what her background in boxing is. Uh, but she's there to look pretty and ask questions. So that is your team. Love it or not, that's your team for these cards. I, I thought that Todd Grisham and Mario Lopez did a good job overall. So Joseph Diaz, who I told you guys was going to win this fight by decision, wins the fight by decision. 115, 113, 116, 112, 117, 111, but could not win the title because he came in overweight. So the guy who this was all set up for to win a title for Joseph Diaz Jr., Mrs. Waite, him and his father and his camp are consummate professionals. They take this thing seriously. 
I, I don't think he's totally grown out featherweight yet. I just think they did something wrong at camp. They got to make some changes in their nutrition and the way they cut weight. He should stay at 126. He already has no power at featherweight. If he moves up to 130, I don't see him all of a sudden gaining a bunch of power. 126 and 130 are fairly stacked divisions. There's a lot of fights there. But dude, if, you're, if you don't have pop at 126, at 140, you're going to have that much less pop. So if Diaz can continue to make 126, and I think they can if they just make some changes in camp and how they do things, he should. In the co-main, Jonathan Navarro scores a KO7 win over Damon Allen, who I think is a Philly fighter. Uh, that was the performance of the night. That was the uh, most entertaining fight, and it actually... It was, uh, the stream was glitchy, but it didn't stop for half of the fight. So from that perspective, that was the performance in the fight of the night. Now, Jonathan Navarro is at 130. If JoJo wanted to move up to 130, it'd make a hell of a lot of sense for those two to fight, right? Because everyone who saw this, these two on this Facebook watch card, who wouldn't mind seeing them fight each other on the next Facebook watch card? I think it makes sense, but again, if I'm Joseph Diaz Jr. and his team, I'm staying at 126 as long as I can. All right, guys. So that is everything that has happened in the ring over the last couple weeks. Now let's preview what we got coming up this week. All right. A couple of small cards. Or actually not small cards, but smaller events. Uh, Thursday, August 16th in Tokyo, Japan. Ryusuke Iwasa, his second defense of the IBF. Super Bantamweight, Junior Featherweight, whichever you prefer, title against Irish-Australian TJ Doheny. And Friday, August 17th, a Golden Boy Promotions on ESPN2 card. Saturday, August 18th, Hanover, Maryland. There's a card on CBS Sports Network. And then we go over to Belfast, Northern Ireland at Windsor Park. A Frank Warren card on BT Sport. Carl Frampton fighting Australian fighter Luke Jackson, the first defense of his interim WBO featherweight title. Jackson is 33 years old, experienced in age, but only 16 pro fights. He went pro in 2013 after being in the Olympics in 2012. This is his first fight outside Australia. So what is he doing? Fighting in a quote-unquote title fight against Carl Frampton? I couldn't tell you. This isn't even a real title. It's an interim bullshit paper title. So I like Carl Frampton big in this fight. Probably by decision, but might get a late stoppage. I would favor Frampton by decision, though, in this fight. Also on this card, Nicaraguan Christopher Rosales, the first defense of his WBC flyweight title that he took in an upset special against Diego Higa back in April. And he's fighting Irishman Paddy Barnes. Now, Barnes was a three-time Olympian, 5-0 and as a professional. This is a set up for him to win. I don't mean set up as in, you know, uh, um, it's, you know, underhanded or there's some kind of conspiracy here. I'm not talking about that. I mean set up. This is a title for you, dude. If you're the goods, this is your sixth pro fight, three-time Olympian, this is your chance. So... I favor Barnes by decision in this fight. I think he's got the craft to beat Rosales. I think Higa just got caught. I, I like Rosales, good fighter, quality fighter, but Patty Barnes really, really looks to be like he could be something. I like him by decision. Also on this card, a guy you might have heard of, Tyson Fury, fighting Francesco Pianetta. 
and I can say his name like Bianetta because he's Italian and my ancestry is Italian. Although I'm Italian and Eastern European. I'm a mix, I'm a Latin Slavic mix because I took the 23andMe challenge and found out I'm a lot more Eastern European than I thought. Anyway, tangent. <laughs> Fury, since his loss to Klitschko, oh, I'm sorry, Pianetta, <laughs> since his loss to Klitschko in 2013, has been KO'd by Ruslan Shigaev in 2015 and KO'd by Kevin Johnson, who can't punch through a wet paper bag in 2017. In his last fight, he's coming off a loss to Croatian Peter Milas. So this is a setup for Tyson Fury to win and the guy who's been in with some good fighters. So it's kind of a name, but not really. Uh, Fury should destroy Francesco Pianeta. And I think this is gonna be a knockout in the middle rounds. I'm hoping there's an announcement after this. So he's gonna fight Deontay Wilder and it's gonna be in the States and it's gonna be in New York. Alabama would be awesome too, because that's you know just a few hours drive from where I'm at now, but it doesn't really make sense there. It makes sense in New York. We'll see what happens with that. Also, top rank on ESPN from Atlantic City at the Ocean Resort Casino, a new uh, venue they have there in AC. They're trying to build AC back up. We'll see how that goes. Bryant Jennings versus Alexander Dimitrenko. I like this heavyweight matchup, man. Jennings is 4-0 against complete stiffs since back-to-back -back losses to Vladimir Klitschko and Luis Ortiz. Biggest matchup he's had on this comeback trail. Alexander Dimitrenko, much taller, but believe it or not, slightly shorter arms. Jennings has freakishly long arms. And uh, he's a German-based Russian, three wins over stiffs since a KO loss to Joseph Parker in 2016. So kind of a crossroads fights for these two uh, heavyweights. I like Jennings to win this fight. And AC is not far from Philly, where Jennings is from. I think the Philly fans will drive up there, make the trip. And uh, I think this is going to be a fun atmosphere at this card. I'm actually looking forward to it. Again, you guys know I love the big boys. I'm partial to the cruisers and the heavyweights. And I think this is going to be a fun matchup. Also, Jesse Hart versus Mike Gavronsky of Tacoma, Washington, the boxing hotbed of Tacoma, Washington. Hart is taller, longer, more experienced, 2-0 since that competitive UD loss to Zerto, Gilberto Ramirez, last year. Obviously, I like Hart big in this fight. He's another Philly fighter. Several undefeated prospects on this undercard, including Shakur Stevenson, who is from that part of the world, so it makes sense for him to be on this card. This one's going to be a lot of fun. Sunday, August 19th in Ekaterinburg, Russia, Several Russian-based prospects are fighting. So if you guys can find a stream of that, might be worth it to check it out. All right, guys, that is it for episode 134 of The Neutral Corner. We are back on the weekly schedule. And uh, what can I say? I'll see you at the fights.